Hi, welcome to today's podcast. Um, it's just Eric, but a guest, a guest I'm very excited to have on today. Uh, we're a lot alike, and as you'll hear when I introduce Eric Williams, formerly of Cedar Creek Church, Eric moved out of the area um, a couple of years ago, uh, worked for another church, then got out of it because his his side hustle became his main hustle. Um, lots of marketing, advertising. Eric's a, Eric is a true, um, he, I don't want to denigrate him or anybody by just calling him a social media expert. He is a, a people expert. And I've got a lot of those questions, including uh, a personal thing that's new in my life that I want to run by Eric. But Eric is the person mostly responsible for one of my most engaging, and I say that in a social media sense, one of my most engaging pictures that I now annually post on social media. Was it, was it two, I think it's, it might've been four years now. Four years? I think it. I think it's been four years. 18, 19, 20, and 21. Every, what, March or April or so, I can post a picture of me in a giant bunny costume because of some of Eric's creativity when he was at Cedar Creek. Um, I'll bring him in in a second. It's good to have you here. There's plenty to do this weekend. Uh, the Polish Summer Picnic is back. There's a throwback movie. They, they begin tonight. The Goonies is on uh, Promenade Park. Tonight, that kicks off their movie season. Uh, one quick Goonies thing. When I was a kid in elementary... We've had a lot of Eric and El- Eric in elementary school stuff this week. But when I was in elementary school, uh, I don't know what they did with you and your classmates when you couldn't do recess or you couldn't wait outside in the schoolyard for the first bell. So they would get us in the auditorium and put, put the big projector up. And there was one movie... Was, wait, the other one now that I think about it. So I think there was Teen Wolf. I think there was a Back to the Future. But the one I felt like we always watched whenever it rained, recess, school, whatever, Goonies. And I remember the students would always go, we already saw this part. And then they'd have to fast forward it. One of those rainy weeks. So, And by the way, was never really a Goonies fan. And I kind of like the deformed guy. The person that scared me was the mom in that movie of the of the the. Criminal, like she scared me. So, um, get ready now to kind of have your uh, brain melted a little bit. This might be over your head just a little bit, or it might not make a lot of sense. But then you'll be like, "Oh, I, I am thinking of doing a business project, or a Facebook page, or a food truck." Uh, and there will be things that you learn here that you might not have known that will help you make that little enterprise that you're working on very successful. Um, haven't seen him in a long time. Talked to him a bunch on Facebook and other things. Eric Williams. It's good to hear your voice again. Um, I will introduce you as the man who's about 98, 98% responsible for me being able to post a picture of me in an Easter Bunny costume every year. <laughs> okay. That that was that was all you. Well, I mean, I yeah, definitely part of the idea team. That's for sure. Um, so you're in, you're you're in Albuquerque now, right? I'm in Albuquerque. Yeah, I'm in Albuquerque, and I'm doing uh, marketing and messaging, leadership development, business coaching as a as a consultant. Just recently got out of the uh, church business for the last 10, 15 years. So, what uh, what took you? What made you pick Albuquerque? I was born and raised in Albuquerque, um, and then we moved to Ohio um, for high school. And I think my wife and I were always just looking at, um, you know, places like, hey, if we ever got the opportunity, where would we want to move? And Albuquerque was one of those places, and it just kind of came up. And 
I was able to get a job. She was able to get a job, and we moved everybody west. I had no, I had no idea you were originally from there because I thought yeah. when you had gone there, I'm like, well, that's a, that's like a dart on a map kind of place. But yeah. what's it, what's it been like to be back there after being gone for so long? Uh, I mean, very nostalgic, you know, coming back. The issue is like we, I was born on the uh, on the east side of Albuquerque, which is like the uh, does not hold the same connotations as the east side of Toledo. <laughs> so it's it's kind of the opposite you know i was like in a, like a perrysburg or a <laughs> sylvania type community so anytime i'm like yeah i'm from the you know the east side and people around toledo are like oof but uh but yeah no so we're we moved actually into a different area that's more like kind of like a like a white house or waterville that's a little further a little further out of out of town but you know still being able to be like four hours away from four hours away from anything you want to see uh, nature wise, except for like the actual ocean beach, anything else you can, you could drive to. I, I always tell people I love Toledo because you're four hours away from basically any civilized thing. If you wanted to see a show or a sports team, like your sports team is going to play Indianapolis or Detroit or Chicago or Cleveland or Cincinnati, and you could see them. Well, Albuquerque is the same for like hiking, boating, fishing, kayaking, skiing, any of that stuff. And Toledo also not four hours from an ocean, so there's that Correct. too. I do because I yeah. miss the ocean a lot. Like I, you know, right. I I love living here, and and you've pointed out like the great geographic benefits. But mm-hmm. when you know it's this time of year, people want to go to to the mommy. A friend of mm-hmm. mine just bought a kayak, and they're going right. up north. I'm like, it's not the ocean. Just because right. water is touching land, it's not a beach to me. As somebody who grew up like. An hour from the Atlantic Ocean, but still mm-hmm. plenty of things. Do you do you miss anything about here? Yeah, I mean, I miss the people. My wife and I, we were just kind of vacation through here uh, or through Toledo anyway, because we still have family there. But we miss the people, miss uh, miss family, of course. Um, you know, but like uh, there's there's a couple of key restaurants and local Toledo hangs that uh, that are great. So you know, Toledo's got a great coffee scene, which um, is not quite the same out in Albuquerque. And so, you know, we had to stop at places like Plate 21 and other things like that that were um, that were staples for us. And then, you know, there's just no other place that I've found yet that's like balanced. So, you know, there's a lot of hmm. a lot of these different food places that I definitely miss. But it's been different too, because I don't know if you get people from out of town when they come in and you kind of do like the stereotypical Toledo thing would always be like, Hey, you want to go to the zoo or do you want to go to Tony Paco's? You know? And it's like, those aren't any of the things that I, that I would, you know, want to come back and do necessarily just because we created so many other connections in Toledo that, that were just kind of more niche. I mean, even like jute mode t-shirts and things like that, you know, local businesses in Toledo, I think it's just great. Yeah. Um, when people do come, I've had some people ask about Paco's, but I'm like, do you like? Do you really like hot dogs? They're like, yeah, right. And then we'll go. But the zoo is legit. Like the zoo is a great. I've I've always said, oh for sure, that if you if somebody didn't know where they were and you took them through our zoo, they'd be like, where is, is this? Like San right. Diego? Like yeah. same same thing with our art museum as well. If you dropped them in the art museum and they had no idea where they were, they'd be like, is this what? Like what major city are we in? Because it's they're just that great. But you're right. Some of the other more tour. It's kind of like uh, back home in Philadelphia for me. Philadelphia people know that there are tons of great cheesesteak places outside of the tourist traps. Right. Um, Pat's and Gino's. So I totally get you. Um, you said the coffee. 
I'm kind of surprised. Like I thought coffee was kind of, like having coffee shops is universal. Why is Albuquerque lacking that? Okay, so this this was fascinating for me. Maybe it'll be for you that I, I heard somebody tell me this, and I don't know the source. So sorry for anybody that you know needs to look it up. But there's like a theory that most major cities either develop a great coffee scene or a great local beer scene. And very rarely do you have both that are really excelling at the same time. And I don't know whether it has something to do culturally or anything else like that. But like around Albuquerque, so many microbreweries, so many great microbreweries, great microbrew beer, brew pubs all over the place. Uh, Coffee? There's good coffee, but not as much. And then in Toledo, it's like, sure, there's Mommy Bay, there's Ernest, there's, you know, a couple other smaller, you know, microbrews, which are good, but not quite the level of good, solid coffee that we have access to in uh, in the Toledo area. Some people might contest or um, oppose that because since you've been gone, how long have you been gone? Has it been like two years? We left uh, December of 2019, so then the world shut down as soon as we, <laughs> as soon as we moved. It, it wasn't anybody in China. It wasn't the lab leak. It wasn't the bat. Right. Yeah. The Williams family moved to Albuquerque. In the That's world right. It was us. That was um, the butterfly effect. <laughs> uh, we, but really, since then, we have a shit ton of uh, microbreweries and craft breweries pop up everywhere. Right. In fact, there was just a story yesterday that there is now the 419 Ale Trail coming. That's you, great. You get some app and you just go to all these spots, like everywhere. So have you tried? So would you say that the microbreweries down there or Albuquerque are better mm-hmm. than the microbreweries that we have here, even like the ones that you ticked off? Yeah, I think there's, it's just not quite comparable at this point. Cause I, I agree with you. Yeah. There's more microbreweries now, but they've, they've lagged behind the good coffee shops. Right. So I think it's kind of one came first and the other, but in Albuquerque, there's so much more like West coast influence and the weather is great um, year round. So, you know, the ability to have a brew pub that has, uh, you know, four four season seating outside and all of that sort of thing. It's just the vibe is is better, and uh, and I think they were just ahead of the game more in the in the brew pub side of things. Whereas you know Toledo's coming along, but you you know there's great local restaurants, and then there's some great microbreweries, um, but not not a ton that you would say are like really good at both. Okay, I get it. Um, I wanted to to podcast with you because uh, because of several things. We 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 think alike, and I wanted to pick your brain with some of that stuff, and then sure. um, what you're doing now. But also, um, one family thing that we can maybe get into later on. But also, I wanted to know about Albuquerque. Um, okay. <laughs> what? So when I think of almost weatherless climates, I think of LA. Like there's no mm-hmm. reason to do weather reports on, on the radio. It's 78 <laughs> and sunny every right. day. I, I was working in Orlando for a year. Like we don't do the weather here because it's the right. same thing every day. Am I getting that like Albuquerque might be overlooked for that as well? Like it's 83 and sunny every day? Uh, well, it's, it's definitely going to be sunny every day. There's 300 and I don't know what they say, 320 days of sun a year. So definitely sunny every day. Um, so some of those similar vibes of being sunny and warmer. Um, but there are distinct seasons where, you know, in the middle of Albuquerque, it will snow, it will snow in the winter. Uh, but because the sun comes out, all the sun, all the snow that's in the sun is gone by noon, you know, so there's, there's that you can drive half an hour into the mountains and get all the snow you want and go skiing and everything else that way. But for the most part, if you want your weather to be 
between 60 and 90 all year round uh, with zero humidity, that's Albuquerque. There is what they call the monsoon season, uh, which for <laughs> which for June and July it gets it gets very uh, intermittently rainy, uh, but that's still pales in comparison to the amount of precipitation that, that uh, comes in northwest Ohio. So, you know, you get a little of a windy season, a rainy season, but for the most part, you're going to get 320 plus days of sun a year. 60 to 90 the whole year and no humidity, please. I, I was not total, wasn't totally not serious when I uh, commented on one of your posts, like, I'll think about that job just for the weather yeah. alone. Right. Well, and the other thing, so we get here in Toledo and it's 90 something with, you know, ungodly humidity. And it's like, it's hotter here than it's, than, than I've experienced in Albuquerque in a year and a half. Like it just, unless you're sitting literally in the sun on the blacktop, you're not going to feel as hot as one of these humid summer days in Toledo. And the other thing is there's bugs all around and mosquitoes. And I'm like, what are these things? And I forgot that, you know, like even that when it starts to cool down and you start to get into like, Hey, I'm going to start a bonfire or whatever. There's still bugs everywhere because of all the, you know, all the vegetation. Yeah. What are, are there? Well, there are creatures there. Cause you're are sure. You, how far from the, like the desert are you? Oh, uh, I mean, we're in it. So, you know, it's, it's there. I, I was, I was, uh, early on when we moved, I would send uh, photos or, you know, Instagram stories to my wife when I would see a coyote and, you know, I'd say, Oh, this little, you know, look, I found a stray dog. You want to, you want to take him in a little bit. So, but like in our neighborhood, there's coyotes all around. And, uh, you know, if you go hiking, you, you may not see one, but there's, there's mountain lions and, and bobcats and stuff like that. So, and then, you know, in some of the other wooded areas, there's actual black bears and stuff, but, but yeah, we see coyotes all the time. Oh, and roadrunners, man. I mean, you think it's just in the Looney Tunes cartoons, but these little suckers, they, if you don't believe that, uh, that dinosaurs evolved into birds you look at a roadrunner and you're like that's a little velociraptor with with a peacock tail and uh, and feathers no kidding oh yeah they they look super primal and if they go you see them go after a lizard or even a mouse or like a pigeon the it just it's straight up jurassic park and they'll tear them up okay so that's the other uh, the the other thing uh what kind of like non-mammal creatures exist like i'm thinking snakes snakes scorpions, yeah spiders yeah. that yeah. could eat you like what, what about that junk yeah well yeah so uh for <laughs> sure snakes um people say tarantulas around i have not i mean in my years i was there for 13 years so 15 and a half total i have never seen a tarantula um i'm i know scorpions are are common in the desert, but not really around people. The The difference is, and you probably got it when, you know, talking to people in LA, but like out West cockroaches are just more of a thing. So like even just in the, in the desert area, you probably see a lot more of those bugs, but you know, none of the little uh, creepy crawly centipede house centipede things like in Toledo, um, no fireflies or lightning bugs. That's kind of a bummer. Okay. Um, but yeah, definitely snakes and, and, uh, and other bugs like that. Oh, a lot of quail run around, which, which are kind of funny little birds <laughs> run around there. So, huh. All right. Um, so you started like a creative consulting services after you, you left the church stuff. 
Yeah, so I kind of always had it as a side gig. You know, I was doing marketing communications in in church world, um, and then also just to kind of supplement. You know, I had a uh, marketing um, and leadership consulting business on the side where I'd take maybe one or two clients a month. Um, one part because it helps keep me fresh. Because you know, if you want to reach normal people, then you know, getting outside of the church bubble um, is is very important, and it just kind of keeps your skills. Uh, fresh at what what you need to do marketing wise and uh, and so I just basically grew that and over COVID when everything was shut down I had my best year ever um, and started making more money doing just my side hustle uh, than I was in my full time salary job and so summer came up this year and you know we were kind of looking at opportunities and some things changing and, and just saying hey I'm gonna give it a shot and go full-time into marketing messaging consulting and uh, see how many people and small businesses I can I can help really grow their businesses and grow their uh, their leadership potential did you do more approaching to those businesses or did they track you down no, uh, they tracked me down. Yeah, that was the thing. It's like having a full-time job and just kind of doing it on the side, I didn't feel quite as, uh, you know, there wasn't the need to go out and sell, sell, sell and try to push people. It was more like, hey, I'm available to do this. And so I get word of mouth advertising. Um, you know, I've got a couple of certifications through different organizations. And so, you know, I'd be listed on their websites and people would reach out. Um, and so now I'm just thinking, man, if I just start reaching out for people and, and doing the sales process, then... You know, I can do this full time and have a have a more flexible schedule and, and really just get to help out more people who are honestly just struggling figuring out how to talk about what they do for a living. I always over I always overlook that and I've reevaluated it a, a great deal more over the last three, five years that social media has really expo- exploded on, on multiple platforms. And I had I had to remind myself or teach myself to know that like there are things that people fail at that that we do every day instinctively. It's like get up and check Facebook, get and you know make sure I have scheduled posts for the radio station that day. What are some of the biggest challenges? Like maybe how social media illiterate are some businesses, but have great products, but need all that kind of help. Yeah, I think the top thing I would say is there's a sense of a curse of knowledge. Um, that's the biggest thing that I try to help people with. And the second thing, which uh, which I'll go into the curse of knowledge in a second, but for for you and I, I think you know you have an you have an innate ability to understand that there are listeners out there that you're talking to, right? There are people listening to us right now, and that's who we have to keep interested. But businesses, a lot of times, they don't necessarily key into what it is that their customers actually want. So whatever you're making, whatever you're selling, whatever your product or service, um, one, you suffer from the curse of knowledge going like, well, I know this thing at an 8, 9, or 10 level, but people make buying decisions and purchasing decisions on a level of knowledge of like 2 or 3. And so when we're talking about what we do, we overcomplicate it. We think we're dumbing it down to, to what other people understand, but we're still dumbing it down to about a 6 or a 7. And that knowledge gap there is usually what keeps people from really buying into what it is that we do. So I'm sure for you there's a bunch of like radio and podcast insider speak and acronyms and things like that that you know don't really matter to your audience and of course you wouldn't put that out there on social media but so many businesses are using insider language they're using their acronyms they're they're talking in ways that their customers absolutely don't understand and they're not even using the benefits that their products and services have for their customers they're not even talking about those in a way that gets customers to understand man this is how this business or service 
service makes my life better. Can you give me an example of places misusing language and missing the mark with their their potential customer? <laughs> okay. You have, too, right. you have too many and call out whoever you want. Well, I don't think I'm not going to call out individuals by name, but um, here's here's a couple of things. Let's like you know, stop me if you've heard this type of thing before. One is you go to somebody's website, and uh, you know, like for instance, uh, let's see what would be a good example, like a restaurant, and then they put their building on the uh, on the header of their website. It's like, are you selling your building or are you selling your food? You know, are you selling your experience? So nowhere can you actually see a picture of their dang food. You see their their restaurant or something else like that. The other thing is the thing people lead off with is they start talking about themselves right away. It's so, oh yeah, you know what? Uh, Williams Corporation was started in 1942 when Grandpa Williams on the homestead went from whatever to whatever, and you know started a thriving. It's like nobody cares. Yeah, your customer doesn't care that your grandfather started your business. Honestly, your customer doesn't care about your personal mission or your vision or your values. All of that stuff is great for your own employees and that's great to get you out of bed to do what you want to do. Your customer cares. Your customer is waking up every day saying, I've got a problem. I'm looking for someone to help me solve it. And so for someone who, let's say, runs a podcast or a radio show, it's like it's going to be the most entertaining hour of your day. Okay, great, cool. I know I'm for an hour. I'm going to get entertainment. You know, this is this is going to be uh, uh, something to pass the time while you're mowing the lawn. You know what I mean? Like, pitch what it is that your customer actually wants to hear about, as opposed to talking about any any other thing. The, the worst the worst offenders are the ones that talk about uh, talk about why they started the business or <laughs> things like that. It just makes me want to roll my eyes every time. Um, but you see, like, think about the huge companies that do a great job. Like Apple, I think about Apple, McDonald's, and uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi. Um, there's always a product in the actual ad, but more so what they're selling is a lifestyle based on that product. Because yeah. I know if I'm going to buy an Apple product, you're you're going to feel hip with it you know you're gonna it's it's a lifestyle type of thing it always cracked me up to see those mcdonald's commercials where it was like young kids hanging out high five and they're surfing and they're having fries with it you know it's like they're selling this thing that says you want to be cool you want to be a part of this type of thing uh mcdonald's happens to help you get there and it's like well okay i mean subliminal subliminally their customers are picking it up and it's working. What's a, a, a small, because those are bad examples if, I mean, they're they're obviously the high point of examples, but that's not always good for a startup kind of business. They can't do yeah. that. They have to be more explanatory. Can you give a, like a smaller company that does a good job of conveying that message from the outset? Um, yeah, there's, <laughs> I'm trying to think of one that's local that, that would be relevant. So let's take it this way for, let me just give a tip of what you could do. Okay. So if you own a small business right on your website, take a look at your website, take a look at the header photo of your website, that header photo of the website needs to display some level of success that your customer can experience while doing business with you. So, Oh, I'll, I'll give you one. Uh, so I got a good friend. His name is Ben Olin. He runs the, uh, the standard CrossFit in downtown Toledo. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know him or not. I, so I, through he comments on Fred Lefevre's page a lot. So yes, I'm familiar. Okay. All right. So so he runs a CrossFit gym in downtown Toledo. Started it, I think, three years ago. And we worked on a little bit of messaging. Um, 
And so the type of messaging that he uses, instead of throwing out words like CrossFit, which right there, you throw out the word CrossFit, now you are depending on your audience to understand what the heck that means, and you're overcoming all of their preconceived notions about it, right? Uh, and you don't want to do that. You want to tell your audience what to think about your thing. And so instead of using the words like CrossFit, things like that, he's saying things like, we build COVID-resilient humans, Right, so now it's whoa. We help you look better, feel better, move better. You know, so those are those benefits that uh, that you know, like, hey, if I'm in a spot where I want to look better because I, you know, it's beach body season and I don't really have a beach body right now, but I want one. Now you've already identified that as a solution to my problem. We help you look better. Um, I'm 37 years old and I've got an eight year old, a nine year old, and man they expose all of the areas where I don't move so good, right? And so, or where I'm sore the next day. We help you move better. We help you move better. We help you feel better. So right there, he's talking about how his business helps make your life better. Instead of saying, we have weights, right? Like, oh, great. You know, we do workouts. Okay, awesome. Everybody has weights and everybody does workouts. But here's how we're differentiating by actually telling you the problem that we solve for you that's deeper than the thing that you think they solve. There was a, a place uh, that I think they were going to open up near the Oliver House, a, a crossed place. Um, I think it never came to fruition because of a variety of things and permits and stuff. And they were asking for, for our help because they liked listening to the radio station. I guess they knew me a little bit. And mm -hmm. I didn't know how to market that stuff because I'm a Planet Fitness person. I have no desire to do anything CrossFit or whatever. Right. I'm pretty rudimentary when it comes to, to my workouts. Um, so I started scanning around all the local places and I came on to the standards, uh, the standards website and Long story short, I whenever we got back to this client, I was thinking, let's just tell them to steal all this stuff because their website right. was great. It 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 was great to look at. Like I got the vibe and everything of it. Now, I'm not a CrossFit person, but as doing what I do, they got me interested because they put a lot of care and effort into explaining a lot of different things. I mean, it was mm -hmm. it was almost a Wikipedia of that lifestyle. So you and them do a do a great job. Yeah, and I mean, and and showing people of all types doing those workouts because people want to see success and they want to see themselves as a vision of that success. So, um, you know, in some places for fitness influencers or whatever, you know, it's their, it's, it's their business model to only show the most elite athletes or unattainable fitness goals. But in reality, you have to look at who your target audience is and you have to help like give them a picture of success that's one step better than them. So if you're just, you know, doing nothing sitting on the couch and, and you, you have not moved at all in the last however many years, you need to see someone that looks just a little bit fitter than you succeeding in the exercise in yeah. order to actually see that it's attainable. You just mentioned uh, something that I wanted to, to jump into. One of the things that I come across when I have, it's usually uh, uh, nonprofits or something that I'm connected to and they, mm -hmm. they think about hiring social media people to run their stuff. I'm like, hold on, hold, hold on one second. Before you do that, like, let me give you some things that you can speak in your own voice, which will carry more than you paying someone to do it. And you keep some money in your, right. po uh, in your, in your pocket. I say, who are you trying to reach? What? Yes. Everybody. Well, you can't do that. Uh, and that's, that's the first missing of the mark. And one of the things that we've always done in radio is whether it's somebody hanging a picture of somebody, not an actual person hanging in the studio or something we can refer to. We have a target listener like on Q105. Yes. It's a 31 year old 
mom and she drives this and she watches that and she goes here and she's got these kids. Now, when you're talking to your audience, you know, you're going to hit that person as best as you can and then you'll get the halo effect of everything around it. Mm -hmm. And just because we're a radio station, does it doesn't ap- apply just to us. That's for every business. Like, I'm sure for Target, they have their... Melissa or Amanda uh-huh. hanging yep. up so they know exactly who they want to target. And usually, like, when I throw that out for people who are looking for help with social media or the internet or whatever, it's like, draw up who your perfect person is and then go after them. Exactly. And I think the example of actually calling it a target audience is brilliant. And you just got to you gotta play that out a second. Okay, so the center, the bullseye of the target is your, your Melissa, your Amanda, your Chad, whoever that is. And then, like you said, you know, the halo effect, it's like... If you're hitting somewhere close to that target, other people are going to be on that list a little bit, you know, a couple degrees of separation away, but you're aiming everything you can at that center of the target. And really, so when I'm doing marketing uh, uh, and messaging strategy with people, we use a framework um, called the story brand framework, and it works on the basically the beats of a story. And the reason why this works out for people is because our brains all day are trying to figure out ways to help us survive and thrive. And all day we're daydreaming about things because we're trying to conserve calories while doing it. But when you tell a story, just like you know on the radio, when you tell a story or you use somebody's personal example, it hijacks someone's brain into listening and to tuning in to that messaging. And so we basically break it down into seven parts. There's always a hero in every story. There's always a main character. It's a Luke, it's a Luke Skywalker. It's a Katniss Everdeen, whoever it is, right? They're the main character and they have a desire and that's your target audience. But there's always a problem that they face that's keeping them from getting what they want. There's an external problem, which is something. And then there's an internal problem, which is how they feel about that thing. And then they're looking for a guide. They're looking for a Yoda or from, uh, you know, in Hunger Games. It was uh, Woody from Cheers, whatever that dude's name was. And they're trying to find somebody that has empathy and authority that says, I know what you're going through, and I know what it takes to get you what you want. And so those are the first three steps of the seven-part process that I walk people through, and I say, okay, who is your hero? It's not you. It's your target audience. What do they want? And what are the problems that are keeping them from getting what they want? Is it time? Is it money? Is it no access to whatever? How are those things making them feel? Great. Now, you get to be the guide as the brand. You come in and how do you say, hey, I know what you're going through and I have what it takes to help you. And then what's the plan we're going to give them that's going to call them to action, that's going to lead to success or help them avoid failure. And really, it's it's a formula that screenwriters, that that you know, novelists, that people have been using for years to get people to pay attention to their story. Now we just use it with your brand in an yeah. easy and repeatable framework that works. What do you what do you tell a place when they've they've gotten all the fundamentals down and the basics mm-hmm. and they've gotten up and running? Eric, thank you so much for the guidance. Blah blah blah. Yep. But they're they're stuck. Their, their Facebook posts aren't going as far anymore. They don't seem to be drawing in a new audience, whether it's in person sure. or, or social. When somebody hits or a brand hits that plateau, what do you suggest? How do you work around that? Yeah, so we look at um, a lot of different aspects of their marketing. And so first of all, we just ask about, you know, it's just basic questions like, do you have a sales funnel? And some people are like, what's a sales funnel? And then right there, we work on the sales funnel. Like, how are you collecting leads? How are you getting people's information? Are you collecting their email addresses? Because I'll tell you the one thing, um, which, you know, for most of your listeners, you, you know it to be true. Like, uh, with all the regulations changing around social media and things like that, the one the one list that you control more than anything else is your own email list. 
And so if you're not collecting emails from your potential customers, uh, that would be emails, that'd be phone numbers, things like that. If you're not collecting that in your own personal Rolodex or CRM, um, then you're at risk. You're putting your business at risk. And so we look at that and we say, what's your email list look like? How often are you contacting people? Are you giving them value for that? How often are you asking for the sale? Uh, marketing expert and guru Gary Vaynerchuk, he's got a great book that's called Jab, 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 Right Hook. And it's like, how many times are you giving little jabs of like, hey, here's a coupon, here's um, here's a PDF that we think you'd be interested in, here's a survey, and then you're asking for the sale as opposed to always being out there going like, buy from me because I'm insecure and I need your money. How many times are you actually giving benefits to your potential customers before asking for the sale? So we look at their marketing funnels like that. And then there's other pieces around that too to actually dig in and say like, okay, at what point do you actually need to start paying for Facebook ads? At what point are you doing Google AdWords and, and buying those sorts of things? And those are all options as well. But it's, it's you know, going back to the fitness analogy, it's like you can work out all you want, but if your nutrition is terrible, right. you're never going to outwork poor nutrition. And so if you don't have a good sales funnel and a good sales follow-up process, then all the ads in the world are just going to lead them um, to a process that's still going to leak out leads and not convert sales. How do you feel about uh, feeding the beast that is fa Facebook with sponsored posts and the like? That's a necessary evil. I <laughs> mean, I think you, you, the, you, you probably that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't like it, but you got to play the game. Yeah. You know, I hate jumping through hoops, but at some point, it's like Facebook is a free entity, and so you know, you if you watch the social network or anything else like that, you know, like there's all the pithy little things. Like if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Well, I mean, yeah, that's true. You know, Facebook is out there to make money. They're not, they're not sitting here going like, oh yes, let me put a free place where you can freely provide your information. It's like, no, they're going to ask businesses to spend money so that businesses get put out there. I don't love that that's how it is, but that is how it is. And we could sit there and argue about it all day, you know, if you're if you're a business owner, or we could say, great, how can we use this to our advantage or completely avoid it and try a different strategy? Uh, it was maybe the end of 28, no, I think it was, it, it was early 2018 where I decided to, uh, and I was in between like full jobs at that point. I was like, I need to make like a brand page and it kind of like stole a little bit of my soul. But then I realized, okay, you know, the personal page is only going to go so far. At least with this, I can feed that beast with yeah. the appropriate posts and things. And rather than hoping something takes off. And you're, you're right, you've, you've got to pay into it. And I even tell um, when we work with clients who want to advertise on the radio station, it's, it's, it's different than it's ever been. But you've got to spend a little bit of money all over the place. And, and you know, when it comes to my job, radio, like, yes, and we can help you with digital, but you should spend on radio. Yes, you should spend mm -hmm. on Facebook. And some mm -hmm. people that are still doing this work or in traditional media, they will tell their customers to not do that at all. And it's like, well, you know, then they might not have success. So I just want to right. be a part of things rather than the whole thing. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have a successful customer, like, what can I do to for you to win? Then your money's not going to come back to us. Exactly. And I think that you always have to be aware of adjusting and changing when needed because, you know, there was a period in time where I would have told people like, don't spend on TV or don't spend on print ads or don't spend on you can um, say mailers. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I was gonna leave that out. But you know, whatever it is, like don't spend on on name your your particular traditional media. But then COVID hits and you're like, yeah. everyone's at home. And so guess what's happening? Radio and TV and print ads. It's like, yes, spend on those things and adjust. And I think you just have to follow where people are gonna be and you know, figure out if you have a finite amount of resources, which all businesses do, it's, you know, given some seem like they have a lot more, but if you have a finite amount of resources, you have to figure out where's your target audience, where are their eyeballs or their ears, and how can you get your content in front of them where they're going to be most. To go back to the email thing, it, it's it's an interesting donut for me, uh, emails. And it's been like this for the last three or four years, I guess. But, you know, 15 years ago, I remember the radio station I was at, we have to collect emails, build up the email mm-hmm. database. And it was massive. And then social media hit. And then everybody kind of blew off the email. Everything was spam. Or that's when people started to create a second or a third AOL account only for mm-hmm. coupons and things like that. And then as Facebook and social media pulled the rug out from entities and they're like, ha ha, we're going to throttle you back now. So pay us. Um, emails became that much more important. And when I was with, uh, iHeart, somebody had said this, this is great. And I pass this along the email people. While you might, if you get 30% of people opening your emails, that's incredible. But these are your die hard people. They want to engage with you. So I'm glad you pointed out that emails are important because we, we, I mean, I opt into these things and you know what, Mm -hmm. if I bought from somewhere and I don't like getting the emails anymore, I'll opt out. But you know what, Mm -hmm. who's a good, let me give uh, what's a good example of a place. I can't think of one because I get daily t-shirt emails and I want to see the T. Well, okay. That's a good example. Daily t-shirts every day. They have three new designs. Most most of the time, I don't buy. And most of the time, I just click out of it. But you know what? There was a 20% off sale. And you know what? I went into it. So every day, I don't mind that that goes to my main inbox. Because for the one time yes. that I'm going to take advantage of it, you know, they make money. And you know what? When you look at it, if it's a brand that you really like, it's you're okay opening it, not opening it, hitting delete, but definitely not opting out for that, that once a month or that once a quarter where you're like, holy shit, this was awesome. I'm so glad yes. I got this email. Yeah, it for sure on food service is like that too. And I always use the example. I mean, you, you know, you said you and I think a lot alike, and this is exactly right. I mean, you're talking about the t-shirts. When I'm talking to clients, I say, okay, what's your favorite pizza place? And they'll name it. And I said, you get their emails? Yeah. And do you read them every day? No. What happens on Friday when you want pizza? I go into my email and I search for name your pizza place and I find their coupon and then I use it. And it's like, yes. So it depends on your product, of course. I mean, if you're selling a retail product like that, like a t-shirt, like something else, yeah, sending those emails that you know people aren't going to open every day, but they're going to see the subject line that says, hey, flash sale, buy one, get one free, right? Now, you may have been sitting on a t-shirt, you're like, "Eh, well, for me, it's like sunglasses. I've got this sunglass company (laughs) that they send me, yeah, they send flash sale you know buy one get one free and I'm like oh crap now I gotta buy one you know and, and, and I suck her into a sale do you do I, I fell onto one of those the other day because somebody put uh, like this is how the, yes take all my cookies take all my information yep. tell right. sell me things that you think I'm eventually going to want so of course yes. like a $35 pair of Transformer sunglasses showed uh-huh. up on my on yep. my feed and I was all about it and um, I found I, what was it? I think a couple years ago I bought blenders. Do you know those? Yeah, that, that's my favorite. That's the okay. one. I wasn't going to name them, but there no, they are. That's, that's it. <laughs> and I think the site I, I landed on was Knock Off or Knockers. Uh-huh. Knock so, Around. Knock yeah, Around. Yeah, now I have all that stuff. And like, yeah. I, that's why when, when people were getting all crazy, like, they, they can't have my information. 
give them your information. Exactly. They, oh, they yeah. Sell you stuff you didn't know you wanted. Uh, we're on the same page. The same thing. It's like, oh, man, I don't uh, protect my data, but I want Amazon to to make sure that they're like for you recommendations. Yeah. I need that to be as accurate as possible because nobody thinks to send Eric Chase a Transformers themed <laughs> sunglasses unless you told them to. And it's like now you get the perfect thing. So, yeah, of course. Let me give, anyway, go, uh, go ahead. Let me give you a real fast example of that. So I know where to go for all my Transformers, what's coming out, what's pre-ordered, yep. blah, 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 teases. And, and the algorithm has worked into that. So Hasbro knows to send me the... Uh, the promo to put on my calendar because this is going to be pre-order day because I've bought it from there before. Meanwhile, right. after I've already done my pre-order, my idiot friend in Philadelphia goes, have you seen this? Yes, I have because algorithm, mm -hmm. algorithms are smarter than humans. Right, exactly. Yeah, I was working with a company that's a, a data company out of... Uh Phoenix and they were talking about they said like Facebook knows you better than uh, than your closest friends after yep. three likes after 10 likes they know you better than your spouse and after like 15 likes they know you better than yourself and it's like whoa like there were times where they would predict uh, that people were uh, you know expecting a child based on the interaction that they had yeah. on on Facebook so those are all things where it's like you can complain all you want about data and everything else like that but there's a piece of it that's making our lives better so yeah I'm, I mean I'm I'm all for it as long as it's used in a safe and regulated way um, I want to ask you one more thing about this and then transition to something personal if we can because I think yeah. we're a little closer now than when you left what yeah. is your what is your one tenant for both just your average person on social media and, and a business as well. Mine is always emotion and talk like a person. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, yeah. So I, <laughs> I always say, I basically tell people it's what's in it for them or think what's in it for me. If you always put that mindset in everything that you write or you do and you're saying what's in it for me from the standpoint of your customer, that's going to make whatever you do better. So if you don't remember anything else, it's just sit there and say what's in it for my customer? What's in it for my customer? Because if I'm putting out this uh, social media post and if I read it and I say what is in it for the customer to actually read this, then it's going to be better because just like the email examples, like people don't like to receive emails in their inbox because they don't apply to them or they're useless to them. But if you're actually providing value to people, whether that value is entertainment or a coupon or education, whatever that is, if that value is being provided to your customer, they're much more likely to engage with your content. So always think what's in it for them. We, uh, 15 years or so ago, back in the old Clear Channel days, they would call them listener benefits. And okay. that was the filter, like what's it, like what you just said, what's in it for them. And over the years, you know, hey, you got this new restaurant. We'll bring you, I'll uh, bring the DJs some food if they talk about it. No, forget that. The DJs are fat enough already. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk about it, but you offer something, just something dumb is like, say you heard Eric talk about it on Q105 and free yeah. coffee or, or whatever. What's in it for Lister Bennett? What's in it for yes. them? And that's, that's my, that's my creed when I turn on the microphone every day or what less so on the podcast, but like I want you to leave the show being a little bit more entertained and a little bit more informed. Everything I do on the show, years ago, I did my best to take out I from what I say into the microphone. It's you. And the only mm -hmm. I's are if they're going to relate to you. Yes. 
Yes, I, I love it. So that I'll actually give people the effort, acronym WIFT, you know, W-I-I-F-T, what's in it for them. Yeah. And so, you know, it's kind of funny. It's a funny insider thing with some of my clients. Like, oh, man, you, you know, you're if you don't actually think about that acronym, you're going to whiff on what you're putting out there. Because it's if you're not thinking through the benefits to the end user, um, then you're just really creating for yourself. And that's okay in a time and a place, but not if you want to make money. Yeah. And, and you made me want to ask that question because, and give you my answer, my, my tenant with that, because you said, we've been around since 1927, sir. Cl- like nobody talks like that. Right. Yep, um, exactly. All right. Personal thing. Is Calvin autistic? <laughs> yes. Yes, he is. He is right. very, he is on the spectrum as they say. Okay. So I bring this up and I obviously, I thought of you over the last five months, my girlfriend okay. and I, I was like, how long have we been going out? She's like, it feels like since the beginning of the year. I'm like, I'm totally good with that. So I'm like six months into this. Um, her son on the spectrum, nonverbal. Yeah. And I have been aware of something like that. I have supported autism walks, but I never was face to face like this before. Um, yeah. First time we were hanging out, he just wanted to start bicycle kicking me with his feet and all this other stuff. He, uh, he is a good boy. He has been through a ton of stuff over the last year as she's gotten divorced. He's moved different places, bouncing back and forth between his mom and his dad. Her apartment is too small. She wishes she had a backyard, like everything that could seemingly go against them and him settling down. He's four years old has gone against him. He's finally over at a, at a daycare that or a school that specializes with kids like him. Mm-hmm. What can you pass along to to me? Um, how I can be a better boyfriend and interact better with him, and know not to lose patience with him? Because yeah. and I've told Amanda, she had a bit of a breakdown a couple weekends ago at Chuck E. Cheese, and I was like, "Look!" And we we were he was thank God nobody was there. He literally was running around the place, but I expected him to do that. I said, "I was like, look, listen." No, we can't have a catch. No, we can't go to a restaurant. No, we mm-hmm. can't go to Target and mill around the toy aisle. But we can throw a ball in a tree for 35 minutes and do little mm-hmm. dumb things like that. And I enjoy it. So what kind of insight can you give me about what you've gone through with Calvin? Yeah, well, I think I the best way for me to relate to you, I think, would be, you know, you've done some of the, um, you know, mental health awareness campaign things, walks, all that sort of stuff. So I know that that's, that's kind of big for you. And I think in the same way as you would look to somebody and say, Hey, how can I deal with, uh, you know, how can I interact with someone that's got, uh, some mental health, uh, issues? And you would say, well, everybody's unique, right? Everybody has unique and individual things and not, it doesn't work for everyone. So I'm just going to start off right there that anyone on the spectrum, I don't speak for all of them. They all are, are definitely unique. And I think what's been interesting for me is I'm, I'm a, I'm a fixer. And so, you know, if somebody brings me a problem, um, I want to try and find a way to fix it. And so dealing with uh, my son, Calvin, there are just so many times that I just don't feel equipped to know what it is that he wants or he needs. Uh, But it's that constant pursuit of trying to figure out what is it. And it's not going to be something from my standpoint that I would assume it might be for him. So there are definitely times where it's come up uh, that that we don't process information the same way. And it seems like it's obvious, but in some ways it's like he doesn't process information the same way that anyone I know or I'm used to does. And so for him, he will get fixated on individual things or, you know, on something like that. And it's like my quick answer, because it works with my other son, is to be like, okay, forget about that and try to get him to focus on something else. And that doesn't work. 
I've got to sit there and listen to him, and I have to ask him questions about it, and we have to dig down to the reason why he's fixated on it. So, for instance, um, he, you know, I posted on on social media the other day a picture of my two sons, and and Calvin had a a, a wool glove on one hand. He grabbed this thing right before we got on the airplane, right before we left to go to the airport. He grabs this thing off of the the dresser, and he's like, starts to put it on, and. And I'm arguing with him, like, you don't need the, you don't need this, like, put it back and all this kind of stuff. And he's about ready to have a meltdown. And I had to take enough time to sit there and realize that he's using it as a comfort item. This is a transition tool for him. Because for him, he's getting ready to go somewhere and do something that he's nervous about, he's anxious about, he doesn't know. There's a lot of sensory going on. He doesn't know necessarily if we'll ever come back to our house. You know, there are just things going on in his brain I don't understand. So he's searching to try and find something of permanence he can take with him that's going to be a transition item that represents home for him. Why he picked a wool glove, I don't know. But that was something that he saw and he thought, okay, this is going to represent home for me. And it's more so than just grabbing your favorite stuffed animal or anything else like that. Like he wore the thing all day. He's He wore it the whole first week we are on vacation in 90 degree heat. And it's like understanding those things, advocating for him um, in those situations is important. The other thing that I struggle with is I'm – pretty easy to be embarrassed by by his actions and I really have to get over that like that's something that he's helping me understand is like same thing you were talking about in Chuck E. Cheese um, the way he acts is not a reflection on me and I have to get over that like I'm people aren't gonna assume that I'm a bad parent because of my child and if they do that's their own dang problem yeah. that's uh, not my problem that that that's me uh at Chuck E. Cheese as we were trying to leave he and I don't want to say I don't say his name on the podcast he right. uh, ran behind the counter and uh-huh. I I or Amanda couldn't get him in time but I told the lady I was like um, he's coming around but he's total like with my dogs I'm like they they're just loud they don't they're not they're yeah. not violent and uh you know I don't care I'm the opposite like I don't care about the embarrassment you can mm-hmm. think how you want I don't care I right. just want my circle to be happy um yeah. how how do you how have you gone about like disciplining him when he's done things wrong even when he was like like a little kid because how old yeah. is Calvin now He's uh, nine. Nine? Like, when they're four or when they're three, four, five, when kids do kid things, when they mess with their siblings or whatever, like, how do you discipline him or how do you get them to learn? Because their brain works so differently. It does. Yeah. And I mean, and and you think about in some cases, like with my other son, my, um, as they would call them, a neurotypical son, um, (laughs) he (laughs) learned all these language things. He, uh, you know, if he does something wrong and we, uh, we, we take away an item as a consequence, right? Or we put a consequence on him. Um, he understands that what he did causes that item to be taken away and we can explain that to him. Whereas with, uh, with Calvin, there might be situations, uh, like, uh, yeah, my wife was just leaving with, with, uh, my mother-in-law to take the kids out of here so I could have some quiet on the podcast. And Calvin wanted to take, uh, I forget what I, he, oh, he wanted to take a box of 96 crayons with him in the car. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that. And But knowing that, if we just move on quickly like we would with our neurotypical son, um, that would cause a bigger meltdown because he has a hard time transitioning and processing the, the movement from I have what I want to I'm going to move on to something else. And so talking through it with him, really being patient, it's exposed my lack of patience. But, you know, getting down on his level, looking him in the eye, explaining through some of these things, asking him how he feels about it, and 
really helping him self-regulate um, has been a really big key for us because we're, we're fortunate in the fact that uh, he is verbal. He can express uh, how he feels, but he can't necessarily self-regulate. So trying to help putting uh, tools in place to say like, hey, what color are you right now? Because he's got this little uh, mood color chart that he'll say, I'm a yellow. I feel frustrated. Okay, why are you frustrated? And we have to like walk him through all of the things that you or I might process in our brains, you know, without even talking about it. And so um, understanding that typical punishments aren't going to work the same way. And there's sometimes where, you know, if he has a meltdown where it is physically dangerous and he's, you know, flailing about, we have to put him in a safety hold and we have to remove him from situations. And those are other times where, man, if that's in public, gosh, it's real embarrassing to right. see you know, to have to deal with that, but understanding like whatever's best for him in the moment is what we have to do more so than trying to save my own self-embarrassment or my own, uh, you know, the, the way that I'm going to look to others. And, um, you'll get plenty of embarrassment in for your other son and even Calvin as he gets older. You will, you will, yeah, yeah. Lean, you will lean into dad jokes and for sure dad pants and all the other things. So you'll get, you'll, yep. get, you'll embarrass them as they get older. He yeah. is a, he is a nonverbal, which makes it challenging. And I, I'm going to guess that his cognitive abilities are not of the age that he is, but mm -hmm. it's funny. My dad came to visit a couple weeks ago and I, I wanted him to meet Amanda and her son. And yep. he was, he had familiarity with autism and he immediately said, does, does he talk? Is he verbal? I said, no, but he can communicate. Like you definitely know what he, what he wants. Um, right. But like, as far as verbal, not, not so much, but it's been interesting and very different. And in a lot of ways, I'm kind of proud of myself um, to, to manage through it. And if I didn't have, you know, thoughts with people who are neurotypical, I guess if they're suffering from a mental health issue, may they might, might not be, but sure. I, I've challenged myself to see beyond the normal. Like you said, like you can't do that. Oh wait. Yes, he can because right. that's, that's him. So, yeah. And I think the other thing is too, is, you know, dealing with people, um, and, you know, especially if they're on the spectrum, as individuals and looking at their individual needs has been so important. And that's why I try to relate it to a mental health issue because it is, it, everybody yeah, has brain. a different need. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, that's where you see a lot of like, um, especially adults who are autistic will say, I prefer to say I'm a person with autism as opposed to I'm autistic because, you know, just that subtle language shift for them makes it saying like, I'm a person first and foremost, and autism is a part of my life. Um, but if you say like, I'm autistic, it's like if I'm saying I'm diabetic and assuming that, well, that just means that you have an insulin deficiency, you know, like aut saying someone is autistic can paint this picture of an umbrella term um, that may not be the same. So for your little guy versus Calvin, if they're in the room together, a lot of people would, ha would have no idea that they are on the same spectrum, whereas, you know, they are very much and just a and just reaching them and getting through to them and helping their brain make those connections is going to look different. Yeah. Yeah. I try to avoid language stuff at all costs. I'll mumble. Mm -hmm. I'll use very generic terms. Because, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, the one I come across most is the committed suicide phrasing is, right. is, is changing. And like, yeah. I, I never intend to offend anybody. Um, so I just try to be, I read something last week about some people like being called disabled, others right. don't, or like, yep. like, like you just said, somebody might not want to be called autistic, but somebody else who is autistic might take power in that. And I'm like, sure. 
I'll just use pronouns and he, you, I, us, that, this. So, mm-hmm. this and is, and I guess the key for that is like as soon as someone tells you what they prefer, there you just go. change. Because yeah. if I say, "Hey, is he autistic?" and you say he prefers, you know, no, he's a you know he's a child with autism, and I oh, I I no big deal. I'm just gonna shift right to it in the same way as if your name was was James and I said, "Hi, James," you said, "Call me Jim." Great. Just move, move to it, to what they prefer to be called, and move on. Uh, well, this is as interesting and as exciting and as uh, brain activating as I expected. So, thanks for taking some time. Um, I'm glad you got to come back here and see the greatness of Ohio. Oh yeah. Um, I'm sorry that you, uh, if you had chose to, you you could not win the Vaximilian, But hey. <laughs> Like, no, our our state did the same thing. So New Mexico had a had a vaccine uh, lottery too. I think everyone was copying DeWine. So yeah, my uh, when my dad was driving out here, he actually like a week or so beforehand, he was in North Carolina and he took a road trip there. He's like, all the states I'm driving through, can I get a new vaccine? In right. Each one, I'm like dad, what were you? Were you like mom with her couponing and <laughs> refunding? Like relax. Yeah. So give us all a scratcher wherever we go. Just give us a scratcher. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for this and. Um, We'll talk soon because Facebook knows the algorithm or Facebook is the algorithm and it will bring us together. That is true. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time to chat, especially about your little guy. Of course. Um, and I'm sure I can ask you questions anytime when uh, when struggles with that arise. For sure. 100%. Um, all right, Eric. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.